Oh, it's time for Bring It In, NBA Playoff Edition. David Thorpe, Dr. Hector, how are you? I'm good. I want to know how coaches. <laughs> I'm good. I, I'm, right, so we I'm have good. a kind of a running gag, as you probably know, if you listen that like uh, David and I celebrate like what Gerard calls lovey-dovey stuff, like hugging and crying. <laughs> <laughs> Gerard just thinks it's the worst. This goes on 24-7 by text and everything. And uh, so when Willie Green, coach of the Pelicans, he had just, it felt like 20 minutes, but it was probably like five minutes of just going around the court after the Pelicans and just the most meaningful hugs you could possibly imagine <laughs> with just he started he started to got a little blinky when the first time he hugged Monty Williams right and then it's just like <laughs> then he did like Water a call of, of crying hugs and the whole time I'm like oh Gerard it's just this is all we're going to talk about and and how many times have you brought it up since it happened I don't know 7 10 12 15 12 15 at least at least <laughs> So, that's where we so are. coach, how, how did you feel about that? How did you feel about all that love in the room? It was just so, a beautiful sight. Uh, well, first of all, as I wrote a couple weeks ago, like I did have a bias. I have two, you know, people that I kind of consider my sons coaching with the Pelicans. So um, as much as I admired the Suns and was, I definitely was pulling for them from an NBA standpoint. I think they're the more interesting team because I just needed a better team. Uh, yeah, I was rooting like hell, hell for my guys too. But I would tell you that. In August of 1990, I got married and was, I have a mic on and I'm making jokes the whole time. I've seen the, I haven't seen the videotape in 25 years, but um, I remember cracking some jokes and whatever. And then I stepped, you know, uh, Jewish people step on the glass. Well, for us, I think they put a light bulb in there. I stepped on it and it was Niagara Falls. <laughs> I kissed Chrissy and I don't, you couldn't really see tears streaming down my face, but it was, it, it was like just this, this flushing of so much emotion and I always think about that when I see that kind of situation where I guarantee you that people cry all the time for plenty of good reasons and you know what's coming. I just don't think there's any way Willie Green thought that was coming. It was just the end. And now the new thing begins. I mean, there's no, there's no time to celebrate. They got to start thinking about shit today. Like they're waking up today thinking about stuff. But it was the end in that moment. And guys, he was, what, 1-11, 3-16. They just fired Stan Van Gundy after one season. He doesn't have any job security. He's never coached before. And the run they went on and the way they lost, they didn't lose like Toronto lost. That was a <laughs> fucking ball game. Nothing against Toronto. They, they had all sorts of issues. But And Philly's great. But wow, did they – don't you agree, guys? They were exciting and competitive. They the lost with Jose amazing. Alvarado holding his bloody gums up to the, to the yeah, camera. More than once. <laughs> he, he was bleeding more than once because he, yeah, he, yeah. he was cut earlier – when Chris, when he ran into Chris Paul and Reggie Miller, I think it was thought that Chris Paul did it on uh, uh, that Jose Alvarado was acting bullshit. He did not know Chris Paul was there. That should have been a foul on Chris Paul. I mean, sorry, on Alvarado. It he, was. That Matt was. He was standing still. Yeah. yeah, it was a pick. Yeah. Chris Paul just stood there, and Alvarado <laughs> just lost it. It wasn't any gamesmanship. He uh, Jose got lost. But I'm telling you guys, Willie. No, and and if he hadn't lost to the Suns, it'd have been different too, right? This was his team last year that, I mean, if Phoenix doesn't go on that run, Willie doesn't have this job. Willie said after the game, this is when, you know, all right, the, we're, we're, we're turning the gag around. Oh, wait, did you do a little lovey-dovey <laughs> research, Gerard? I mean, I don't know. I don't know that I would call it lovey-dovey research. I just dug into it. Uh, after the game, Willie Green said, this is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, coaching against people that you love. Yeah. And... There's this weird thing about basketball, right? Like it's this competition 
and obviously you want your team to win. But M- Willie knows all these intimate things about Chris and Chris's family, right? And like, right. and they talk all the time, like every day. But when we're playing, we don't talk at all because for obvious reasons. And Chris, like, Chris is like, this is just weird. And Willie's just like, this is, it's just an awkward. See, this is my whole point. This is why you should take your feelings out of it. Then you don't got to worry about this shit. Don't make no friends. Then you don't got to worry about nothing. <laughs> That's like, you're talking about the cyborg approach. <laughs> yes, correct. <laughs> the, the Kawhi Leonard cyborg approach. No we, friends. Just who do you mind. root for yeah, when you watch Rocky? <laughs> Mm, nobody. <laughs> this is, there are people who do this, this transactional approach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I happen to think it's flawed compared to, uh, I don't think Chris Paul, I mean, there's no thinking about this. Chris Paul murdered the Pelicans. He made love Willie Green. He, he called him his brother. He murdered them in the best way possible. And the Suns fucking went after him with t- uh, some really tall, super silent killer. And then with Jose, the opposite, fire and ice. And, uh, and they did exactly what, and when it's over, it's over. In fact, I was waiting though. I thought the director messed up. You got to get Jose and Chris Paul on camera. Did you see anything? No, no. Cause they, they panned out wide. Right. And so you got to see the, and no, there was no, I think after the game, Alvarado was like, you know, Chris Paul's a hall of famer. Like you got to respect that guy. Like whatever. He's like, but yo, he shouldered me in the chin or whatever. Or, you know, I'll go to the dentist tomorrow, get my teeth fixed and smile all summer. It'll be fine. <laughs> but I Wait, mean, so Jose Alvarado research- is. Why Willie Green was crying, you spent a lot of time scanning the field for the Jose Alvarado Chris Paul hug. Is that what you were doing? No, I, I, I want to see if they were going to fight. Uh, oh, I did yeah. too. <laughs> I didn't know. My son and I were my son and I were frustrated. We didn't know how that was going to go down. I thought they would be fine, but I wanted to see it. No, no Brandon Ingram Chris Paul hug. I was like, yeah, that's what we're, look. Whatever. Like this oh, whole that's like, true. It's like I'm not. I'm not this whole like. 80s basketball was the best when you can clothesline a dude. Like, no, I don't. Yeah, that's not. Right. I don't need that shit. But it's just the animosity is interesting, and who who hugs and who's nice after, and who isn't, who holds a grudge. Who, that's all interesting to me. I, I, so, I tell you what, the Pelicans did Phoenix a favor, guys, because yeah, they, you normally when you're one seed and you roll, like mm-hmm. you're losing possibly one of the next two. They they are sharp. Yes, they're heightened because now. the Pelicans made them sharp. Mm-hmm. They gave them. <laughs> Yeah, that also helps. They might not have a tougher um, battle. But they'll play better teams, but man, that was tough. Go ahead, Andrew. So actually, I, I, I sent you guys this article um from the growtheq.com, um, which is uh Brad Stolberg and Steve Magnus who've been on this show. Um, but yeah, the, there's a little I didn't know any of this research, but um uh I'm editing a little bit. Um what good does wanting to crush each other following the game actually do? The game is over. Why keep the accentuated stress response going? The science is pretty clear. The best way to turn off the stress response and increase recovery is not to rage, but rather to engage in social recovery or hanging out with friends. Keeping the stress response active after the buzzer rings is actually detrimental to future performance. Third, we know that emotional flexibility, the capacity to produce context-dependent responses to life events is key to mental health. So like he's basically making the case that like the lovey dovey after the game between competitors <laughs> is like super good and a model for the rest of us, which I thought was like, and they use science and stuff. I don't know about that, but like, <laughs> yay science, <laughs> yay science that says love everyone. No, no, no. Like it, it's I, I do think that's that's it's good. Like that was that was a series where I, I I thought it was good and it was nice to see that at the end everyone sort of like exhale right because 
I mean, I hate, you know, we use this what if metaphors about actual war and bad things for sports. And I'm like, guys, right. this is basketball. This is not a war. But it is intense competition. So I get that part of it. But when it's done, it is nice to, you know, exhale, let some endorphins yeah. in, you know, and calm yourself. I just would have preferred that after game seven. Like, that just would have been like, just, you know, like, like one more little battle wouldn't have been the worst thing. You know, just like uh, game six. Well, it, it would have been worse for Phoenix because that's one extra battle for 37-year-old Chris Paul, right? Who don't need to be engaging in any more extra battles at this stage of his career. I mean, didn't he take like a week off in last year's playoffs? Like, you can just, just sit when you just sit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Listen, he is going to after you know when you when you run on uh, a track after spending a week running on beach sand or mud, that track feels amazing. He he's going to see Jose Alvarado in his in his nightmares, but he ain't going to play against him anymore. And that's gonna that's gonna be nice because that dude is not fun to play against. And Jose Alvarado's like printing up business cards to say like you know guards Chris Paul like that's his little. <laughs> that's the thing yeah. well this this series though henry this is and you and you coach this is a model of what you guys have been preaching for a billion years i mean you're not that it old but you know what i'm saying this this idea that look at all these amazing basketball talented guys that exist all over the place that anyone in the nba could have had mm-hmm. Alvarado, undrafted herb jones second round like you know, you could have had these dudes, anybody, but you know, it's not how we do things. Like, apparently, if, if you were in my office right now, I'd give you a big hug and kiss, my man. I've been that shit for a long fucking time, haven't I, Henry? All he ever wanted. <laughs> there's uh, there's so much talent out there. Like in in, there's just so much talent, and uh, it's amazing how many teams miss it. Uh, but you can't just draft it; you got to cultivate it. Well, you yeah, got to spread the royal jelly. Yeah, of course, yeah, <laughs> including playing time. That's 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 oxygen. You got to give him a chance. And Trey Murphy right, so, was sent to the D League because he was struggling. Right, like he was. He good. was really he was bad. Really good while. yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Lost his confidence. We have. I think we're gonna have like the best show of all time. We have a million things. <laughs> Draw's not technically here. Uh, he and I traded because I can't make it on Monday. <laughs> But then he just had too many exciting things to say as we were warming up. So <laughs> there he is. Um, but, um, yeah. welcome to um, okay, so to everyone who thinks the NBA is rigged, um, I'm telling you, I've been in these meetings. If you were going to rig it to make money, you would rig it for game sevens. In addition to being very exciting games, they're additional games. That's just more money, right? There's yeah. just more money. Three opportunities last night failed. Um, and not to mention LeBron and KD. Right. Not even around. Already um, in the Bahamas. Yeah, so I, you know, if they're rigging it, they're rigging it completely Terrible. wrong. Way. Yeah, and I'm not someone who thinks that the NBA is all in the up and up. Don't you know? Please, we yeah. know this, right? But uh, yeah, it, it just was like you know, they, there might be some shenanigans of referees. Don't get me wrong, but like this is not Adam Silver calling like make us money. Like, it is not. It is not that stupid if they're doing it. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, I, I have watched too many games to think that it was. Yeah, there's. I mean, I think there's a lot of if 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 you're a superstar headed for the rim about to make a highlight with the game on the line. Like, like you can shove people around because they're not going to call a foul on you. I think that's a little bit of a rigging, right? Like they're on the side of these delightful things, but they're not not this. Um, All right, David, you are, things have happened. The Pelican season ended and now you're ready to trade Zion Williamson. What's going on? (laughs) I think that there's a conversation that needs to be had where, um, 
You see, now you have some leverage now with what David Griffin, Willie Green, ownership, with what just happened. We all saw it. They, this, now, you could be the Hawks, and maybe they'd flatten out like Atlanta did this year, but there's no reason to think that they will. With the young talent that they have and the, the spirit, I mean, that gym, the arena, Chris Paul talked about it. And so now at the time, it's just, I was on, it's all right. You know, we, we did our, we've done our part. We emptied up. Either you're in or you're out. Like, we need you in or we're calling teams tomorrow. Who do you want to play for? Doesn't mean we'll do it because we're going to do what's best for us, not for you. You can figure that out yourself. But we need to know that you're in. And if you get hurt, you're going to rehab here or you'll consult with us about what to do next. And if we think you need to go away, fine. But you're going to work with us on this. Or let us know if you're not really that sure and we will start making phone calls tomorrow. Don't say a word to anyone. Keep it quiet between you, you and us. We don't want to lower your value anymore. But uh, well, they would get, they too, right? get some really good players for him. Huh? You can say, oh, yeah, let's get that. I, you can say, you know, we were all new, right? Willie Green was new. Not that long ago, David Griffin was new. Um, yep. All these players are new to this team. Like, we went on an adventure to see if we have something special. And we didn't know. And now we do. So now we're going to win championships, right? Like, and that's where it's get on the bus or don't, right? Like, uh, which is a way to make his ditching the team, not something you hang over his head forever, right? It's just like, look, right. that happened. You were getting to know us, but now you know us. Now we know we're going to be a Willie Green team. We're going to have Brandon Ingram and Jose Alvarado and these guys, Herb Jones. Like, do you want to be part of that? This is a good time to ask that question. Right. Uh, the last time I felt this way, I think it was the last time, was when I saw this terrific Celtics surge to get to, get to game seven, I want to say, against LeBron. And Kyrie was at home and Gordon Hayward was hurt. Yeah. Uh, I think Kyrie was hurt too. He, it wasn't vaccination issues. But I saw this young core just gel. And I didn't trust that Kyrie would ever work with that. Maybe he would. And Gordon was just, he had been injured and right away. And I just thought, you know, they don't need him. He's just in the way of those, of Brown and Tatum's progress. And so I only entertained the thought. It wasn't like I said, you have to train tomorrow. You just have to have that discussion. Like, hey, we, as, a, as an organization, not even going to them. Uh, uh, and I think they probably should have traded those guys, you know, in that summer. Oh, uh, that was like, I mean, this is you have to have like yesterday for me. You, you tweeted basically they should think, see what they can get right now. Basically to build around, yep. you know, Tatum and Brown. And uh, Tatum, was Brown, off- Rogier, who Yeah. Yeah. Rogier like, would have been amazing on their right team this then. year, by the way. Yeah, trading high on their right. stars. And um, everyone thought you were crazy that night. And boy, looking back, like, who that's smart. Um, so same kind of deal here. You just have this. Actually, and I'll tell you what, David. Another time you had a moment like this was, you know, Greg Oden had played maybe not one regular season game yet. And you were like, I think the Blazers should just cut, like, right now. And uh, this, something's not right here. Well, and, um, I remember the Oden thing because your Portland connection. It was, he had played some games. But he, he got hurt a little bit, and he had been hurt in college. And I said to you, I'm not saying train tomorrow. I said, you better have a plan B ready to go. And well, that I was later, though. Uh, he, because... got a, he got a tonsillectomy in summer league, if I remember right. Yeah. And I remember thinking, like, you were like, didn't he just miss? Like, like, no one misses a whole year of college with a wrist injury. Like, right. And now he's like, you know, it's like, what, what's wrong? Right? Like, why is he having so yeah. many problems? Right? And I, it just yeah. seems like it's I, not going to go you, well. You, well, this is the same thing here. What's plan B? Plan A is yeah. Zion is fired up all in. Uh, but I tell you what, if you wait and uh, don't get that conversation going, don't feel that that connection from him, 
um, you're going to be stuck with what you, what you had this year, or he's going to be there, but halfway out. And Harden did that, Anthony Davis. Like, that is not, that's exactly the opposite of what happened with the Pelicans this year. He was just a, he was just a fan, and it was great. So have that conversation. I, I would have his parents there or, or whoever's in charge of his life uh, from a business standpoint, his agent, and uh, we and make him look you in the eye. And it doesn't mean they can't be deceitful or change his mind. All that is allowable. But I want you to look at me and say, I'm in. This is, wh- this is where I want to be. And I wouldn't even make him do it publicly. I, it's not a ruse. This is, this is a business. And, uh, and then if he, if he doesn't do it, I, I mean, I think, I think I would trade him to Detroit for Kate Cunningham. I don't know that Detroit would do it, but uh, that's, I mean, I, I would, I mean, you could get Jeremy Grant, Kate Cunningham. You can get rid of a couple guys off your roster. Uh, that's what I would do if I was them. You're not going to get, you know, a, um, it, you can't make the money. Isn't the same. You, you got to get 10 million for 10 million guy. And maybe you can get Jeremy and, uh, and maybe Sadiq Bay. Uh, Cause I, I think it's the, the higher level talent. Doesn't mean Detroit would do it, but um, yeah, I would have that conversation, Henry and see what happens from there. You considered a lot of possible destinations for Zion. What else, what else was on your mind? Yeah, well, I mean, I looked at Atlanta. I didn't love anything I saw with the Hawks. I don't think Trey Young would be something you, something you would do or they would do. Um, Charlotte is the one that everyone talks about. I would be afraid to put Zion and LaMelo on the same team because I think both are candidates to bolt. Um, Miles Bridges is really interesting. I wouldn't want LaMelo if I was New Orleans uh, for different reasons. Um, and I don't, I don't think he'd want them. So that's part of the problem is... He's not going to go from small market to small market, I wouldn't think. Uh, no, Detroit was uh, any or whoever drafts this year, uh, number one. Uh, a, a trade for Holmgren, or, or I would probably not do Holmgren. Bancaro was really good. Jabari. But Ke- Cunningham's a year in. You know he's going to be a 20-point-per-game score. Like, you know what you're getting to some degree. There's only upside now. There's no more downside. All these other guys have some downside. So you can wait if you want until you know, see what they look like by February. But I'd want right now, how, how in are you? Because we can start operating without you the second you tell us you're not sure. And he might. I, who knows what he would say? You have to ask. And I think the other thing is that, uh, we're kind of thinking that Brandon Ingram is that guy. Like you, you, you can make a real championship strategy around Brandon Ingram, which we didn't maybe know. Maybe you knew before. I, you know, but it seems like more comfortable than ever making that bet if you have to. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Uh, you have the first dog, right? You've got the guy. Uh, what a marvelous, marvelous 24-year-old player he is. Like, that dude's going to score 25 points in a Team USA Olympic game one day. And sh- he, you know, give him a chance. He's going to do it. Um, and from everything we've heard, you and I, separately and together even, as good a guy as you're going to have in the league to be your leader, as good a guy. Um, and I remember a couple years ago we wrote about I think I've talked about this before on the show. We talked about the Pelicans. Um, don't wait for the Jason Tatum trade, Anthony Davis, when you can just take everyone the Lakers have, including Brandon Ingram. And, um, and the article we wrote about was that he's essentially, oh, he's got a chance to be about the same. And maybe I'm wrong. Tatum is a first team all NBA player. Ingram certainly is not that for this year. But are you, are, do you think he can never get there? Because I think he can. And um, well, if he can't, it'll be second team or third team, but this guy's a star. Um, and I think it matters I, that he's the kind of star around whom these rookies have blossomed, right? It's a big deal. We'll talk more about that later, but you know, I, I don't, LeBron didn't have rookie teammates like play super well in the playoffs, maybe ever in his career. Um, you know, I think that, yeah. that Brandon Ingram's great point. 
like trusting his coach and system enough that he's not like declaring that he needs only veterans around him, which just doesn't sound like a big deal, but it's actually pretty rare. I heard, I heard uh, he's really close with Alvarado and they might even be the same age. Jose is an old rookie. I, I could mm-hmm. be wrong. He could be 22 or 23, but he might be 24, which is what Brandon is. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, the, yeah, he uh, he's. It certainly seems obvious to all of us that those rookies felt they were not afraid to take big shots. You know, they were not. Yeah. That's a huge thing, right there. Not afraid to take big shots Including when you got a guy like that ball. on your team. Maybe they should have. Maybe they should get the ball to Ingram more. But um, yeah, he clearly looks like he empowered them to some degree. That's that's an exciting thing for the Pelicans in the future. Okay, so a week ago today, I tweeted asking who's the most exciting player in the playoffs. And um, it was fun. People had really fun answers. Um, some of the names. Jordan Poole, obviously. John Morant, Tyrese Maxey, Jason Tatum, Trey Young, Draymond Green, and who was guarding Jokic at that time. Uh, Anthony Edwards, who had just won a game. Um, Jimmy Butler, Joel Embiid. Who else comes to mind, David? Uh, did you say the guy for the Mavericks? <laughs> yeah, that's you the did. one. This is where we're going. Yeah, hold, so, hold on. Henry, make a note on your little fancy book you have. You mentioned Jokic and Draymond. Can we please make sure we circle back to their love fest? I just want to make Gerard squirm a little bit because great what they idea. talked about, yeah. what they did after the game, I, I almost never see. And so I want to get to that. But but uh, I don't know. I think you. that's a long list. You know what, David? If the If the topic is love, take a minute. Take a minute. Tell me about the love between okay. Jokic and <laughs> you, know, you, don't, you don't boo people. You boo puppets. <laughs> that, that's a Drain Seinfeld line. Um, so Draymond Green, in no one's world, would be considered a kind player on the court if you're, the, if you're on the other team. And, and, and as Draymond said after this, this last game, there's no one that would say Jokic is some kind of soft, you know, kind man on the court. But they were all love after the game, uh, respecting their games. And, and, and Draymond said, like, he's the reigning MVP and probably is going to win it again and should. Like, he, he said, he, he, there are guys in the softness league. He is not soft. And I just thought, boy, it's, it's so rare. And, and, and he, he said he made me better. Well, I, I, that, to me, is, is the story. More than anything else, I want. I wish I knew Draymond. How? Like, I want to know what you learned so I can learn it. I'm always trying to learn the game better. And Jokic is so good. But Jokic said the same thing. He made me better. Like, you have to be so sharp, which is why I said the Pelicans just gave an assist to the Suns. We are not going to forget this if the Suns win the whole thing. Thank you, New Orleans, because mm-hmm. they made them better. They had to be better. There's a game seven tomorrow. And uh, I, 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 we were talking earlier, and Gerard was saying, and your little your thing from um, Brad – was it Brad that wrote that uh, mm-hmm, the article Brad. you were talking about? Yeah. Yes, um, brilliant guy. Uh, like, this is how it should be, guys. We should always be on the learn. We should always be ready to be get, getting an education, even if we're in battle. And Draymond and Jokic are two of the best ever to play in their way. Like, what Draymond does, almost no one's ever done before, ever. Like, Scotty Pittman's the last guy to be that good on defense and can facilitate at that size. That, that's, that's a hell of a player. Jokic is one of the best I've ever seen. And yet, here they are loving each other, and you would never think they were being kind to each other during the game. So uh, that's instructive. I will be speaking to a lot of young NBA players this summer, and I'll be telling this story to them. Only because I love Gerard. Um, 
and I want to let him be cynical, I'm just going to add one little note, which is on the surprisingly interesting Evan Turner and Andre Godala uh, Point Forward podcast, when Draymond was our guest, he what said that he thinks, well, it's three point forwards when Draymond's on, right? Yeah. Um, um, he says Draymond thinks that he can make more money from media than he ever did from basketball. And he's like, you know, owning his own channels and stuff. He's doing it. He's already well on that path. And now everything he says, I'm like, is this media strategy? Because like that was actually a pretty good, you know, it's a, it's often a win to take an unusual position, right? So part of me when he was like, when Steph Curry's teammate says that Nikola Jokic should win the MVP, I was like, he knows this is getting lots of retweets, right? <laughs> like he's not stupid. Um, I think he really means it, but there you go, Drod. That's my little my little shout out to you. Nice. Appreciate that. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> it's all, by the way, it's also wise that uh, you're not pissing off the same guy you got to guard three times next year yeah. who's fucking incredible. You know, just be nice to him. All right. So everybody at the time when I asked the question a week ago, everyone said the most popular answer by far was Jalen Brunson. And um, yeah. which is great because he's so fun to watch, inarguably. Um, and he had just come off. Let's see, he had a nine of 24 game one. 15 of 25 game two, which scored 41 points, six of 10 from three. That's the one that really got everyone's attention. And then yeah. in game three, still without Luca there, he was 12 of 22. That game, he was 0 of four from three. But um, that was it right at the moment when I asked the question. Um, he just had those three games. Then Luca came back and the Mavericks won the series and Luca was good. And Jalen uh, kept playing well. He went from 23-ish shots a game to 18-ish a game. Um, but it's like a little tad less magical right which is totally fine um but it's got me thinking that like we have this moment now where um you know fully empowered players are having big say over like you know who coaches the team and who even runs the front office and i think if you're like a, a jalen brunson kind of person coming up on free agency you might think like is this a place where i can like fully explore all of my abilities or is this a place where I need to like kind of be, you know, Robin to somebody's Batman? And I think that like we, you know, we've talked about Jordan Poole in the show a lot, but like the fact that you can explode as a star next to Steph Curry is a little different than like playing next to a really ball dominant player um, like Luca or KD and Kyrie, um, where like Bruce Brown didn't turn into the next Jordan Poole, um, just didn't get that many reps. So I, th I think there's this like little moment of, Super ball dominant start, or are you CJ and Anthony Simons both were better without Dame on the court? Um, I just think there's a little bit of it used to matter and lots of ways to win, but I'm thinking more about uh, Joe Dumars told me years ago that like he put together that Pistons team, particularly with Chauncey Billups and Rip Hamilton. He kind of went to great lengths to get those two together because they were the star guards who could win you a game without needing the ball very much which meant that Tayshawn Prince could develop and meant that Rashid Wallace could get the ball and Ben Wallace could even touch the ball once in a while and on and on. Um, this is not to criticize Luca. This is just to say, that I think when Luca's going to win a championship, it'll probably be with teammates who are like playing the best they've ever played. And that's just harder when you have the ball so much. I just talked a lot, David, why don't you take a turn? No, no. So you told me this earlier and I told you, that we had heard rumblings that, and I've said this many times, you know, that Harden wanted to just see if he could lead the league in scoring. In fact, you know, you and I just spoke to uh, a former very famous head coach about this subject. Like, 
there's nothing wrong with it. Like you want to go be, uh, you want to go see if you can be the MVP of the league. Like you mean back when he was Oklahoma. That? What is wrong with? Correct. Back, I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He. Everyone thinks he left just because of the money. I don't think that was all the case. We were hearing about this beforehand, and remember, it was my son that was in the trade. Like we had been hearing all these rumblings, and uh, and and more power to you, James. Like you're allowed to have that ambition, and if you don't think you can be, if you don't think you lead league in scoring on that team, you're right. You're right. You're not leading the league in scoring playing with Russ and Kevin. You're allowed to want to do that. You get paid to do that in a sense. In other words, the, the ancillary things you can do besides your NBA salary. Draymond can make his money in media. media. These guys can make it with their brand when you're leading the league in scoring and MVP and all of that. Uh, and so, yeah, Jalen Brunson, uh, we, we'll see. I mean, he, he clearly showed he can be uh, an, an absolute scoring fiend it's not like golden it's not like utah can't guard they weren't elite this year but they've never been bad and he destroyed them and so if you're his agent you have some serious conversations to be having with your client which is all right do you want to go see if you can't score 20 a game and and be fred van vliet listen three years ago no one saw fred van vliet as an all-star he had kyle lowry leonard and siakam that was never going to be an all-star for fred but look what's happened. And now he's an all-star. Now he might get traded. It's a whole nother story. But he's going to be traded by a team that needs an, all- an all-star high 18, 19, 20-point game shooter. All right. All right, Jalen, what do you want? Because you can be the sidekick to Luka and, and win a lot of games. But you're never going to be a max player, in my opinion. I don't think he will be. They might need some other max guys. I don't think it'll be him. He probably earned himself more money in Dallas. But he definitely can make more money somewhere else uh, per year. That's a decision he's got to make. We'll have to see. Well, they have, yeah. They're not done playing yet. We'll have to see what happens. And uh, we've talked plenty about William Wesley, but you know, one of the one of the players who goes back the mo- the furthest, all the way back to the beginning with William Wesley is Rick Brunson, Jalen Brunson's dad, right? And William Wesley runs the Knicks now, and they could use some star power there, right? I think there's like a, it's it's a it's an internet rumor thing, but I think it's also just totally like, you know, they're gonna he'll get some offers, I guess is what I'm saying. Great call on the New York thing. Yeah. But they they'll have there'll be a line. There'll be a line. It won't there just be, be a line. Yeah. There'll be a yeah, line. Yeah. Uh, it'll be a fun line. He's I mean, he's interesting in the sense that like he's one of these guys like Fred that really are hard to guard and they're not tall or quick or fast, as you call them, what'd you say, normal looking humans? What was your description? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Normal sized dude. Like, like if you went to, normal size uh, dude. That's it. That's I did. I I I went to a game, a high school game, and Jalen Brunson was there supporting his dad, who's a high school coach now. And I was sitting near him for twenty minutes before I realized he was there. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, that's just a, right. just a normal size dude. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's exactly right. Let me tell right. you this. Okay. That's exactly right. So somebody in this star role thing, I'm all for it. I'm all for like people feeling out the limits of their abilities, right? But there is this yep. question of leadership. Somebody has to be in charge of seeing how good Jared Allen can be, right? That's a job. And it's been like a GM coach job, right? And But you know, it was Kenny Atkinson's job, right? And he had a staff and they were working on Jared Allen. And then, uh, as I understand it, like he, you know, he just didn't go along quite well enough with like the KD Kyrie program. He, he was, he was difficult because he had other, and they wanted, they ended up getting John Ray Jordan. Right. Um, and Jared Allen was in this sort of player development thing was a bit of an obstacle. 
So I don't, you know, I think Kenny Atkinson is really a good coach. I hope he gets another shot somewhere. And I think those nets were really fun and full of young talent, but um, I, I don't feel some kind of old school need for like everyone to play traditional roles here. But as Kevin Durant's like talking about overthinking and he seems kind of taxed by like the leadership part of the job in like getting the whole team playing well. Um, it might not be for him, right? Like he, he, it might be nice to have someone who we trust who's in charge of like, you know, what Bruce Brown's supposed to be doing and how we're going to get the most out of him, right? It's a lot to take on. Um, and then I think, and, and you know, and I, my, you know, from a distance view is that like Steve Nash, after the, what happened with the coaches who preceded him, it kind of was understood that like he's here to not be too bossy, right? Like he's here to be someone who understands superstars, right? Which kind of means, and this is why you get a post-game, post-season press conference where Kyrie is saying that he looks forward to leading the team with Joe Sai and Sean, et cetera, et cetera. Um, like we're sharing leadership, but that doesn't just mean sharing like the, the delights of leadership. It means sharing the, the burdens of leadership. And that's where I feel like, be honest if you want that or not, because if the rest of the roster is underperforming, they're going to call you if you're the person who picked the GM and the coach. <laughs> right. And, uh, I, I, I think there's a little bit of, um, well, contrast that with, they just lost to the Celtics. And I have this Emi Adoka story. I've been, maybe I told it before, but like the story as I've heard it and I ran it by Ime and he kind of like laughed was that there was an international game and there was a brawl after the game and they had to get back to the locker room and Ime like, like led the troops in battle back to the locker room and, and other players who were there were like, he was an absolute like hero, like a war hero. And um, so that's who they just lost to, right? Like, this is a team that picks someone who's actually a leader, right? And is really going to like, and, and called out his stars in the media in December or whatever. Not that that's like the sign of leadership, but he was like kind of bossy. He was kind of difficult. And like, you know, all those Celtics kind of changed their, what they were doing to fit Ime's vision. And I feel like that worked in this case. It has to be somebody's vision. That has to work for the roster, for the whole team, for the franchise, not just for how you want to play. If you're the star, does that make sense? You're making it sound like the point of these uh, managers is to put together a group of guys and not just have them be based on their overall skill, but there's, it's more nuanced than that. That's what you're having me believe that it's not just about collecting the best players you can and let them play. I agree with well, you a thousand percent. I, I don't know that everyone agrees with you. <laughs> I've seen the way some of these teams have been put together <laughs> over the years yeah. and you can't argue that on paper, they're not talented. But they're not, they're not, they're not uh, uh, ready to cry for each other. Right? They're not ready to die for each other. The, the, there's these little things that make a big difference. And, you know, Gerard said this, I think, last Friday. And we've talked about it a few times. That these, these games really do so often come down to possessions here and there. And if, if what we're describing can help you win just a few more possessions every game, well, that's the difference between winning and losing a series. A game, yes, but a series, for sure. And I happen to believe that. So, like, every time there's a really high-quality hug, how many wins do you get from that? <laughs> well, Ooh. to be honest with you, it, it depends on how talented the huggers are. Let's be fair. <laughs> it, that does matter to some degree, right? <laughs> you and I can we can hug it out all we want in a court. To, I, I, to your point, point, though, Henry, 
the Nets could have had Ime Udoka as their head coach. That, they right, kind of yeah, did. That was for, an option. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was right. an option. And there to your point, right. coach, about small margins, yes, the Brooklyn Nets got swept, but your combined total margin of victory was 18 points. They just yeah. won a few more possessions than you did. I wonder why. It's yeah, it's in my article, which I don't know if it's published yet, Henry, but um, it's public. We like, talked about that. The, one of the best things that's happened in my life is that Travis Moran works at Troop now. And so we had the final version on the screen. We we're on the phone. And then I just came to do this podcast while Travis is handling that. And yes, it's going to be, so be published. I assume it's published. Okay, it's up. He didn't. So uh, Gerard, I make that point. Exactly right. I mean, the Nets outplayed them a bunch of different, really important ways. They outshot them in every way. Outblocked right. them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, and lost all four games. Only one was at the buzzer. The other three were a little bit more significant than that. But um, I, I happen to think that it matters. I mean, I, I've been involved in team sports, you know, going on now um, 48 years. Uh, no, no, no. 49 years. Yeah. And uh, it matters, man. All these little things matter. And you can give lip service to it. This is where I think, listen, we, we talked about Willie early on for the Pelicans, Henry. I don't even remember how we did it. But um, uh, this, is, this is exactly what they hired. And to your point, and I, th- I don't know that Willie doesn't do it the same way as EMA. I have no idea. We know EMA did a little bit because he was public about it. And look what the result is. Uh, uh, yeah, leadership is not just breathing spirit in the hearts and minds of others as a definition. You have to do it. And, you, and, then, and then what do you do? Because if you inspire everyone to go shoot more, that ain't going to work. It's, it's, you got to inspire them to be the best they can be, but it, as a collective too. This is hard stuff. And it's why so often we see the same teams kind of doing it. And then when a guy like Monty, who really wasn't great at it for a while, and, and what he's doing in Phoenix, and yes, he's got bosses, and they've been great too at the, at the executive level. Uh, I mean, I thought Monty handled himself so well in this series. He, he didn't panic. He made some adjustments. He went big, a little double bigs in, in game, um, the last couple games. But I, I thought there was a period yesterday, Henry, where like, he, he's like, guys, like, can we just go now? Like, these guys are on it. Let's go. And uh, I, I liked his approach. Uh, they must love playing for him because he is just cool as a cucumber, man. He's just cool. He's a very, very, yeah. Um, a very similar point. Uh, Mike Conley, after the Jazz had said, um, we're a team that's built on unity and playing for each other. If you look in our archives, there's a story about when a, the, their team plane last year flew into a bunch of geese. And it was very scary. People thought they were going to die. And all the comments were basically just like it made us recommit to our mission as a team. It was a unifying thing to fly a bunch of geese. Amazing. Okay. Back to Mike Conley. We're a team that's built on unity and playing for each other. And at times we lost that when we lose that identity, it shows in our defense as well. We kind of fight ourselves on who we want to be and what we're trying to do out there on a nightly basis. It's a lot of things that we'll look back and try to figure out. Ultimately, it's just a really disappointing feeling right now. Yeah, well, unfortunately, I thought they would be a really good regular season team. I, I don't know that I was right. They were good. They were very good, maybe not really, really good. And then I thought they would flame out in round two, only because I didn't know how when Luca was going to play. I thought they would lose for sure had Luca been healthy. But um, the whole series turns out they lost anyway. Uh, this was whoever made the decision, whether it's the GM who probably won't be there long, or the head coach he probably won't be there long. When I say long, I mean like by the, by by Saturday. Uh, today's Friday. <laughs> Um, they could be gone very quickly, uh, which is fine. They, I, don't, I don't know how they deserve to keep their job. Um, they decided last year 
not to re-sign George Niang, and they could have had him for a fucking song. Uh, and they kind of ostracized Joe Ingles. And if anyone knows the in, the inside, how important those two players are to the inside of that locker room, it should be those two gentlemen, the GM and the head coach, and they didn't see it. Whoever made the decision didn't understand that those two guys, and they're very different guys, but I, I know from personal relationships how effective those two guys were at connecting the, the Conleys, who's not so hard to connect with people. Donovan Mitchell is, Rudy Gobert is. Uh, Joe Ingles is a different dude, but he also is a connector on the court unless you just ostracize him. And they ostracized him, and then he was out. And then they brought in Rudy Gay. Another thing is Rudy Gay, who had a fine season a year ago in San Antonio. Much older than all these other guys, but why? And we, we've talked about this, and we've written about this at True Hoop. It never made sense to me. And now, I don't know that Mike Conley's going to be back. I don't think there's any way Gobert's going to be back. And Donovan Mitchell certainly isn't committing to long-term. They have fucked up what was the best team in the world. I really believe that. And I don't, I don't agree with people who think they can't win with Rudy Gobert at the five. Yeah, they can. But the other guys got to start guarding better on the ball. And the coach has to do a better job of scheming up what he has in that five position on both sides, which is what we're writing about this week and next week in our troop investigation on big men. You, you, you you're not there? using Rudy Gobert like you can, huh? Yeah, go. Let's spend a minute on that. Like, I mean, we don't want to retell the whole thing, but we just published yeah. a part two of your investigation into this sort of freaky... We're in a moment where um, Dray- Amari Stoudemire and Draymond Green have kind of made it clear that the traditional lumbering big man, you know, guarding Kareem in the post isn't the job anymore. And now we're in a strange thing where uh, Stephen Adams barely plays in the first round. Meanwhile, the Celtics and Pelicans and sometimes the Suns play two big men at the same time. Um it's hard to know what the proper role is for a seven-footer right now. Well, let's just stick with the, the best team. Like, the, who was the best team by far in defense this season? The Celtics. It was, it was the Celtics, yeah. And, they, and they, they didn't just start really athletic, wiry, powerful, super bouncy Robert Williams. They started Al Horford. Al Horford was playing college basketball when I was in middle school. Yeah. Like, this guy's been around a long time. And he's starting, and they played Kyrie and KD, and they found a way to scheme up what to do, not just during the regular season where they destroyed everybody and became the favorites to win the championship because of those metrics, but they did it against KD and Kyrie. Who, who, and it's not like they crushed those guys. They beat them in four games, and like I said, Brooklyn outshot them, but they didn't overwhelm them. Otherwise, Brooklyn would have won in four games or five or six or seven. And, and yet, what did Utah do year after year? Their starting power forward was Boyan Bogdanovich. Like, I'm sorry. This is a failure of imagination to, put, to, to think, okay, this didn't work against the Clippers. Let's try something different. Rudy Gay is your answer? Meanwhile, Ime had it figured out. He had Robert Williams guard the non-shooter, the non-scorer whenever he could. They still switched every screen. But when they did, they still pressed up into those guys, knowing they were going to have a second big. So Horford was able to do it when, when, uh, when knowing Robert was behind him. Robert was able to guard those guys tight, make them drive, because he had another basically seven-footer waiting inside. And then he got really good defensive players. You can't always manufacture a Brown and a Tatum. But there's other Marcus Smarts out there. They don't have to be as good as Marcus Smart. 
right? Jose Alvarado did it as a freaking undrafted rookie. Like, you can find good on-ball defenders to play with the talented Utah Jazz. And they chose not to. And a lot of other teams have, cho- have chosen the same. And I think we're going to see – it's a copycat league, which I wrote about in, in the article. And I think someone is going to say, hmm, I like what Boston did. And I've got a bunch of big guys on our team that never play. Maybe I should play them and scheme it up. So that's what I think is going to – I think we're going to see a pivot where it's 10 to 15 teams start doing that more. So does that mean Rudy Gobert has a job? I mean, like, what do you do with Rudy Gobert? Yeah, you 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 ask him not to have to guard all five uh, positions and, and every bit of space on the court. And you pair him up with another person that can help you inside. And right. Rudy Gobert can really move his feet. It's unbelievable how athletic and agile he is for as tall and long as he is. It doesn't make, the, it doesn't make sense from a physics standpoint. He's a freak of nature. He's as every bit of unicorn as Porzingis. He really is. He doesn't shoot the three, that's all. And maybe one day he could. But that, that, that guy, his agility is astounding. But he, he is a human. And so ask him to press up and don't expect him to block everyone's shot at the rim. And get other guys that actually help a little bit inside too. They've got to re, do a reimagining. But they're not going to do it, I don't think, in Utah. I think he'll do it somewhere else. And hopefully we'll have some big guys next to him and, uh, and realize, hey, we could have this all along in Utah. We just chose not to. Um, and are we learning, like, so the drop coverage is a big topic, right? So this is, um, I'm trying to think about a good example. It's like Robin Lopez with the Blazers a few years ago, right? Would just be, you know, the, the whole game is pick and roll, pick and roll, pick and roll, usually on the perimeter, pop and, loop, and then that the big man has to decide where to go, right? And most teams now press up, as you say. They get it up so that to slow down the ball handler coming off the screen, but that that time the Blazers had a strategy of having Robin Lopez play in drop coverage, and is that is is that just not going to work anymore? Is the NBA too talented for that? No, I think it will work. Yeah, I uh, think you need to have a really talented big because you have to you have to have a guy like Rudy when we talk about pressing up and drop coverage. Robin Lopez was hugging the rim, right. and so last year in the in the finals, for example. Team mid-range, I don't call it mid-range, team paint jumper, (laughs) Phoenix Suns, can kill you from 14 feet in the middle of the floor or the elbows like where Chris Paul likes to be. So Brooke Lopez, we wrote about this, had to lift up a little bit higher in his drop coverage. Well, uh, not everyone can can do that, but if you can't, you shouldn't be doing it. Uh, And yes, you could also do some switches, but here's the thing. If you press up on these guys like the mid-range, and then you got a guy like John Morant, who I think led the league in floaters, but we also have seen what he can do at the rim <laughs> as, a, as an athlete. But big guys can do that too. They can guard at 14 feet and take one gigantic step or two and contest you at the rim. It's a challenge. But it's hard for the offense too. That's how it's supposed to be. There's not one definite advantage either way. That's why they play the game. When there is, well, we know he's going to win the game. But if you've got a guy that can get to the rim or shoot the mid-range, and you've got a guy that can guard that mid-range and drop coverage and protect the rim, oh, it's on now. That's the beauty of what we have. And then you, okay, well, now maybe I have to pivot to something different, whether it's offensive or defensively, because that isn't giving us a big enough advantage. This is the chess match we're always talking about. If you can't beat him with your pawns, try your rooks, try your bishop, right? This is the challenge it should be. And we have the talent to do it, Henry, globally. Everyone's a prospect in Africa, in Australia, in Asia, in Europe, Canada, and here. We, all, we can get it from everywhere. We got to find big guys that can move, and we can find guards that can score. We call them three-level scores now, three 
paint icon, paint jumper, not the mid-range. Durant is a freak. Forget about Durant. He can make any, every shot's a paint jumper for him. Everyone else is paint jumpers, threes, uh, uh, and layups, dunks, that kind of thing, and get fouled. That'd be great too. This is the battle. If you don't have that, Henry, well, now you got to do something different. If you can't do the drop coverage, even typically try something different, and that's fine. In fact, Philadelphia went zone last night. When Toronto was rolling, that's the Super first effective. thing that changed yeah. the series. Was well, why did they zone. call it? It's weird. I, huh? I'll if I'm wrong. I'm watching on DVR, so sometimes the time gets a little weird. But um, they went zone and befuddled yeah. Toronto for an extended period with no timeout. It just struck me like, just have a little meeting, yeah. guys. What's your what's your strategy here? They seem to be just making it up as they went along. Well, that's because they subscribe to the Henry Abbott theory of we better make sure we have a timeout late in the game uh, so we can move the ball to half court. Was that like the second quarter or was it the first quarter? Then they yeah, did. It they was, did no, call it was early. Out. Yeah, it was early. They, they did call timeout. It just yeah. was after yeah, seven possessions too long. badly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, I think it was eight possessions, maybe. Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, yeah. So you have other options if if you can't drop. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Go ahead. Okay, a quick thing on the Jazz. I uh, Sam Amick has a story in the Athletic today, and he notes that Quinn Snyder has a coach's option for the year after next. Have you ever heard of that before? <sighs> I probably asked the wrong guy. I asked one of your agent friends, but um, he won't exercise it. He'll, someone else will hire him. He's a good regular season coach. No, I'm just I, saying. I have that no the, issues the, with Quinn as a regular season coach. There's a lot of mystery around this Utah Jazz coaching situation right now. Um, he, they, they didn't have him meet the media after the game, which is traditional at the end of the season. Um, yeah. I think the mystery is coming from this, this exact thing, right? Because ordinarily the team would know what was going to happen with their coach. And they would decide that, and then they would behave accordingly with the PR, right? Um, but this coach's option is a, is, a, is a pretty weird deal, right? They probably kind of want to negotiate if they're going to fire him, right? They want to negotiate not to pay for that second year or get some discount on it, right? And that could take a while. That's a little tricky. That's why I, th- I feel like that's a good guess as to why yeah. we're in limbo right now is because he has a coach's option. It's a I've Oh, I really think you're probably right. Yeah, otherwise, he, we, otherwise, we'll probably find out this morning that he's gone. Yeah. And in a way, I mean, just reading the tea leaves, there've been some like, like there've been some, everybody wants Quinn Snyder stories through the course of this season. Right. Like I I remember one like a month ago and I'm like, Ooh, that only happens if there's a coaching agent who thinks that this guy needs a job. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. We know where that comes from. I've gotten those phone calls. Um, which makes me think that he's not going to be there. I think that uh, it's fair to say um, most of the news that we read that's real is planted because when you're working on something, you don't say a damn thing until it's done. Mm -hmm. And so those things are just, and and going back a long way with you at ESPN that you, you didn't love playing that game. Because that's just, you're basically just doing PR is what you're really doing as a media entity. You're doing PR for the agent who's trying to generate, you know, I, I, I don't even know. You, you shouldn't need the media to generate interest in your client, but they do. They, it's all part of it. And mostly because owners are paying attention to that stuff a lot of times. I don't think executives necessarily, they know the game. But yeah, that to me, that's why we all think he's gone. Because of exactly that reason. We wouldn't be reading that stuff if we didn't think, if, obviously, if they won the championship, it's different. But he didn't. Mm-hmm. He didn't get out of the first round again. And the other team was missing their best player again. Last year was the series. This year was with Kawhi. This year was 
Just a few games didn't matter. Utah didn't have it what it took in the postseason. And I, I'd be shocked if he's back. Yeah, I agree. Um, all right, Joe, I promised you some uh, cynicism and darkness so you wouldn't get too lovey-dovey. You want to talk about Elon Musk for a second? <laughs> <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> well, so I published this story. We don't need to rehash the whole thing. But, you know, mm-hmm. Elon Musk, Twitter, blah, 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 billionaires, Putin, you know, the whole salad. Um but uh, one of the reactions, though, was was uh, someone tweeted or commented or emailed, um, oh, like journalists arguing for censorship, like whoever w- could have imagined this, right? And I recognize that it could have seemed like I was arguing for censorship. Um, and I just wanted to, I just want I think we should all think about this for a second. Like, there will be no censorship. Like, like Francis Hogan gave a whole talk about what was happening at Facebook. Like it's not about everyone's going to publish everything like with very limited like exceptions. Um, that's just how the world is. That's how it's going to go. There's a million publishing platforms. Everyone can publish whatever the hell they want. Um, there's no discussion of censorship. Like what we're talking about is promotion and different things are promoted in different ways. And Francis Hogan's point about Facebook was if you just, promote with an algorithm based on basically like excitement or engagement, then you promote war, mm-hmm. right? You promote stuff that leads to mm-hmm. war and violence. Um, Cause that's very exciting. Um, so, but we know that there's like ways to sort of manage that and that would make Facebook still a successful business, but not have this terrible effect on our society. Right. Um, so this is what I'm getting at. Isn't like, I want to shut up Elon Musk. Who's got, like a top Twitter following in the world and already has like almost complete freedom, right? Like to say whatever he wants mm-hmm. to practically the whole world. Um, uh, I, what I want to do instead is just ask the people who know about this, which is not me, like, what are we going to do about the very organized and well-funded efforts at broad disinformation? And I'm not talking about like some right-leaning thing that bothers me and hurts my feelings. I'm talking about millions of people in Russia are ready to see Ukraine wiped off the map, even though they have friends and family there, because they've been programmed through the media to think that those people are less than human, right? Like, what are we going to do to make sure that doesn't happen again and again all over the globe? That's what I'm talking about. Henry, you're, you're getting into the soup and the secret sauce, but, you know, people don't care about the soup and the secret sauce. I just want to yell about their individual thing from one side, right? Like it's you, you're getting into, it's the business, how the business works. What, nothing, Twitter's going to be what it is. It's fine. We're not worried about that. You're going to be able to tweet whatever you want. That's all well and good. As you said, it is the broad disinformation campaign, the soups and nuts of how we do the thing that promotes all the horrible shit that happens. That, that's the hard work, right? The painstaking work that eh, nobody wants to fucking talk about that. I just want to yell about fucking Rudy Gobert's terrible at, fucking switching one through five or whatever. Well, they want to like, and you know, like, like Putin, like I could, I could talk Putin con talk as long as anybody wants to. It was a, it was a a life changing day, but um, you know, his entire presidency, he started polling at like 4% or something when they first sort of considered him as a candidate. His entire presidency has been based on those are the bad people. I'm going to protect you from the bad people. And he just keeps changing who the bad people are, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's us mm-hmm. now, right? But it's been mm-hmm. it's been the gays. It's been the Ukrainians. It's been the Georgians. It's been the Chechens. It's been, you know, one thing after another. And it's a trick, right? He's worried about people turning on 
him, like the Wizard of Oz. And to keep you worried about him, it's good if instead the Russian people are fighting each other, right? Or like, oh, the Ukrainians, the Georgians, whoever. Like, you need to have... So to me, I, I see Elon Musk. It's already started. He hasn't even bought Twitter yet. Yeah. And he's like already stoking that idea that it's right versus left is what matters in America. Mm-hmm. Like, it's good for the overlords who don't deserve their positions if we think the enemy is each other, right? Like, we just need to be like, hey, neighbor, what's up, buddy? How's it going? That's terrible for Putin and Elon Musk, right? <laughs> but if we're like, oh, my God, the problem is yep. Elizabeth Warren. Oh, my God. Like, like, then, <laughs> you know, like, like then that's a that Then half of America hates half of America, and nobody's so focused on who's at the top. Guys, it is the classic create the boogeyman. And everybody's focused on that, right? Yeah. P.T. Barnum said it best many, many years ago. There is a sucker born every minute, right? Here it comes into town, the traveling circus. Come see the bearded lady and a three-legged man and pop, 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 and all these crazy things. Meanwhile, your pockets are getting rummaged through and your house is getting stolen from because you are running to see the freaks at the circus. This is the same thing, right? Okay. Like, you're worried about shit that doesn't actually matter, right? Like, we, we are not our problem. They are our problem, and they know the best way to keep us distracted from them is to focus on each other. Just makes right. there, there is an argument now about there's an <laughs> argument now about uh, whether or not we should be uh, forgiving student loan uh, student loans, and at the same time, we know billionaires uh, are paying three percent in tax <laughs> and, and have gone through years where they got they had paid nothing. That gets a right. fact. You, you, you have turned student loan debt forgiveness into a right versus left argument when, right. d- d- what? Like that, right. d- that's not a thing. That is not a thing. <laughs> like, again, distract. So they're worried about all that shit when it's like, meanwhile, the billionaire class, and it's not, who cares what you present as a billionaire, whether you present as progressive or you right. present as right wing. You are the billionaire oligarch class. You are all bad because your goal is to keep all the resources among your small group and leave the rest of us to fight each other. That So you're all wrong and all bad. That's the thing. But before we go, I got to ask one last basketball question. Henry, is it mandatory that at the end of a season, a team must do exit interviews for the media? Mm, that's a very good question. Um, I don't think I, I, I'm not an authority on that, but I have some time in that rule book and I don't think, I think you, you have to talk pregame, you have to talk postgame, et cetera, but I, I don't remember seeing that that's one of the ones you have to do. Mm, interesting. Cause it's been three days and we haven't had any postgame exits from the Brooklyn Nets. <laughs> that is wow. very interesting, Gerard. That is Breaking very news. interesting. Breaking news that didn't happen. Interesting. Mm, well, yeah. because as you say, Henry, there's an org chart problem going on there. And yeah. I wonder who in that organization decided, yeah, we're not doing exit interviews. I mean, I got an idea. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he's someone who might think the earth is flat. I don't know. But, you know. <laughs> that is. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> you guys, I recommend. Um, uh, Pablo Torre's podcast, ESPN Daily, has some pretty good um, Nick Friedel, Kyrie, back and forth. There have been a mm-hmm. bunch of them. Like, and then Nick Nick's great at laughing about it. Nick's like, like he does a pretty good job. Nick's like, like, what? It's like just, you know, <laughs> he's just doing his job, and Kyrie's ready to kill him. Like, but um, I recommend it. It's a pretty. <laughs> it's a wild situation over there. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Wild. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, okay, well, that's the topic for for next week when I won't be here and you guys. Yeah, yeah. when you're we're gonna be you. off at the landed gentry. Yeah, we got you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know I do. <laughs> All right, me and Gerard, me and Gerard can pick it up on Monday. You got it. Okay, thank you, Gerard. Thank you, David. Be safe, everyone.